Welcome to Far North Tokers, episode 15, March 29th, 2016. And this is your host, Midtoker. Thank you for listening. Today is going to be a tough show, political show. Political, political, political. Hard to go here, but let's do it. I spent a lot of time in the Ron Paul campaign, 2007, 2012. And so I'm going to have Ron Paul help me out with telling you some of the things about Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Bernie Sanders. Ron Paul's still going on through the Campaign for Liberty, and he's doing a lot of other things. Uh, here in town, we have Aaron Bennett trying to start a Ron Paul school through the Mises Institute, which should be great. I need to talk to him more about that, see how things go with that, too. But um, through the Ron Paul thing, you just kind of learned it doesn't, doesn't matter a lot of what you do. Things are going to happen the way they're going to happen. You, you, uh, uh, what is it? Mark Twain says... Um, if voting mattered, they um, wouldn't let us do it, or something like that. Um, what I, uh, one of the best things I learned through Ron Paul and through a lot of my quest through politics in the beginning was, if you don't like an answer, there's always someone else. People who go to the meeting get to make the rules. Just a simple change, just saying one words. Um, I'm listening to borough meetings. And so many things are just someone just going, if we change if and and, and just change this a little bit, it, it'll be fine. And everyone agrees to, they change the amendment, it's just all done. And it's as simple as that. What I, being involved locally, so I started paying a lot more attention to borough politics. And one of the, uh, I'm listening to borough meetings tonight finding out some information about Mr. Quist um, that uh, I'm working on right now. I'll, I'll come back with the show. Hopefully I'm ready for episode 16 to be all about Mr. Quist and his uh, his intentions behind these, his ordinances he's involved with. But today, national politics. The big thing, we've got three contenders on the national stage and I'm not even going to mention Gary Johnson at this point. I, I I didn't even know of him, really. That's how much I've not been paying attention to um, national politics. It has just been local things. And I've been so busy trying to get our own can of business going. Oh, which is back and forth. I thought we were going to sign a lease last week. Oh, we are so close. And then it goes, I don't even know. We might sign tomorrow. Back and forth, back and forth. Um, then we just go look at other properties, see how things go. If we get this one, we're a lot further ahead of than what we could be because we've been working this in a while. Hopefully, this all goes through, and I can do a whole episode about where we're opening up. That would be great. Okay, focus, mid toker. Let's talk about the Trump factor. This is coming from Keith Stroop of Normal current campaign on the Republican side, which has been dominated by Donald Trump, has been the most incredible spectacle of the several presidential campaigns of my lifetime. I'm an old guy, so I've been, so I've seen quite a few. The hate-filled racist campaigns of George Wallace, 64, 68, and 72, based on a platform of racial segregation and appealing to the anger of white Southerners, are the most similar to the current Trump campaign. Most of us have believed those hateful and divisive times were far behind us. Then came the Donald. 
It's not just Trump. Despite an economy that has bounced back from the Great Great Recession, creating millions of new jobs and lowering unemployment to the lowest levels in many years, the abiding theme on the Republican side is anger. Republican primary voters are angry at the elected officials, at immigrants, at Muslims, at apparently at anyone and everyone who looks or thinks differently than they do. And this is me talking now. It makes me, I don't know, want to go crazy that all these people supporting Trump could have been supporting Ron Paul. Ron Paul knew what he was talking about as far as national politics, um, international policy, um, his his stance on drugs. Lots of good stuff with Ron Paul, but I'm not going to get into him. He, uh, but... So many people getting angry. Maybe it just takes a long time. We're a new generation. We'll, we'll see. Back into the Trump factor. The Republican Party appears on the verge of handing themselves and their presidential nomination to a dangerous demagogue who is openly and proudly racist, sexist, ignorant, offensive, uncivil, ill-tempered, and incredibly narcissistic. Having encouraged the Tea Party extremists to find a comfortable home in the right wing of their party, the Republicans are now discovering the inmates have taken over the institution, and they clearly do not know what to do about it. Wow. A little bit slanted, huh? Personally, as a liberal progressive Democrat, I can, to some degree, enjoy witnessing the vulgar spectacle the Republican campaign has become. Sort of like watching a demolition derby in a stock car race, where the winner is determined by who is finally left standing after all the other cars have been destroyed. We know she would not allow ourselves to enjoy such a dangerous spectacle, but it's impossible to look the other way. Okay, so we've got a lot of marijuana policy is going to be affecting things. I was looking last night, and the way I see it, just looking at the Electoral College, I made a list of all the states that have legalized cannabis or are in the process of legalizing cannabis or predicted to go soon. They are cannabis-friendly states. Of those cannabis-friendly states, there are two that um, that went blue. Red, sorry, went red. Thinking how, what that map looked like. So we've got Alaska. That gives you three electoral votes. And I want to say um, Arizona. Maybe was it Arizona? So from that, we have the rest of them, like 15, 16 other states, all blue states, giving a lot of elect. It was 200 electoral votes, 204 when I figured it out. You need 270 to win the president. So right there, just just in cannabis-friendly states, you have two-thirds of what you need to win the presidency. All right, so let's go back to this article and hear what he says about Trump and cannabis. As with most policy issues, it seems impossible for Trump to decide what his marijuana policy is. is. Going back to 1990, Donald Trump actually called for legalization of all drugs, saying, we're losing badly the war on drugs. You have to legalize drugs to win that war. By 2015, when speaking of the conservative political caucus, Trump had changed his mind, stating his opposition to legalizing marijuana. I think it's bad, and I feel strongly about that, he said. They've got a lot of problems going on right now in Colorado, some big problems. Trump waffled again on the Bill O'Reilly show on Fox News in February of this year and indicated he was ambivalent about legalizing marijuana, saying, in some ways it's good, in other ways it's bad. 
When he pushed, when he was pushed about what he would do about the states that have already legalized, Trump said he would leave those states alone. If they vote for it, they vote for it. At a Nevada campaign rally in October 2015, he further clarified that position. In terms of marijuana legalization, I think that should be a state issue, state by state. So that was five months ago. He did stress he is 100% in favor of medical marijuana, citing his personal familiarity with patients who had benefited from medical marijuana. Trump claims he has never smoked marijuana, nor ever had a drink of alcohol or used tobacco. Hmm. Clean man there. Claims. It's unreal, unbelievable that he could say this. But what is annoying is not that so much that he said it, that the American people love it. Oh, yeah, that's what we need. We need a president that will act and not tell us what he's going to do and tip them off. We'll just go vomit. But then he followed up with and said, we don't need to worry about this political correctness and worrying about hitting civilians and families. He actually implied that you go directly to the families because they care about their families and they'll only respond if we put them on the line too. So that that is so outrageous and what is so annoying is this uh, builds his popularity. I think what's happening today is uh, because there's been a retaliation from the Middle East and there's so much violence and killing done in the name of uh, of radical uh, religious beliefs that our side is reacting this way and it's in the form of a type of populism. It's, an, it's a, a very aggressive populism and giving the president more authority and combating uh, that attitude. And one thing that Trump has been able to get away with and uh, I find that most of us are pretty sympathetic when he attacks the idiocy of uh, the outrageous political correctness that we live with and that probably has gained him more popularity than anything else. So the political correctness and those individuals who have been intimidating, don't say this or you'll be punished or you'll lose your job and kicked out of office if you just hint anything. Well he's been bold and he has challenged the political correctness. But the problem there is the substitute is Trump correctness. Who's going to define correctness if there's not the political correctness of the far left? Is it going to be Trump correctness? And and, and then he you know uses it. He loves executive orders. He says I would use executive orders. And uh, in a statement that uh, Chris read, he implies that why do I have to tell anybody what I'm doing? Well, we're supposed to be living in a republic. We're supposed to be living in a free society. So it's um, it's rather sad to see these things slipping by because these issues, this type of attitude, it's great you challenge the ridiculousness of political correctness, but if you support it with these ideas that you need more secrecy and more force and send more troops, uh, and he is not bashful about that, and that's why I consider it a very dangerous ideas of uh, being so authoritarian and finding these solutions uh, for moral reasons as 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 well as for constitutional reasons. Uh, if if he had if Trump had his way, he he wouldn't be worrying about the Constitution. And uh, also, uh, we should look make people look more at the practical results of what has happened. The practical results of the last 14 years of our foreign policy had been disaster. Clinton and cannabis. <clears throat> Hillary Clinton, like most established politicians, has never has gradually evolved in her views toward marijuana, starting as a true drug warrior and more recently moderating her views to accommodate the changing public attitudes towards marijuana use. 
Clinton says she favors moving marijuana from Schedule 1 down to Schedule 2 under federal law to allow for more research on the drug, and she has finally endorsed the medical use of marijuana. Most importantly, she has made it clear she will permit the states to continue to experiment with full legalization, referring to them as the laboratories of democracy. Nice key words there. Laboratories of democracy is supposedly what federalism is in the republic. Um, that's the beautiful thing about republic, the laboratories. These statewide experiments can help us point the way to national policy, so I'll continue the Obama administration's enforcement guidelines that allow states to experiment. I really believe it's important that states like Colorado lead the way so we can learn what works and what doesn't work. And I would certainly not want the federal government to interfere with the legal decision made by the people of Colorado. I want to give you the space, and I want other states to learn from you what works and what doesn't work. She has also said we have got to stop imprisoning people who use marijuana. Clinton claims she has never smoked marijuana. And her husband did not inhale. What kind of president do you think she'd be? President? Oh, well, I think she'd I would think she'd be pretty average, pretty mediocre, and pretty much for war, and pretty much for welfareism, pretty much for deficits, pretty supportive of the Federal Reserve, and loving the military-industrial complex. But that's what we've been having, so I don't think she would provide any change whatsoever in a positive sense. The biggest beef is, is that from a libertarian viewpoint, there is absolutely no difference of, S, of, uh, of a meaningful difference between Hillary and Trump. I mean, they both support military-industrial complex, the Federal Reserve, deficits, entitlements, invasion of our privacy, and uh, it, it, it is, it's a super-nationalistic uh, populism versus socialism, and, and, and that's, that is so remote so, from what we need to be doing. We need to be moving ourselves away from tyranny toward liberty. Mm -hmm. so, so are you endorsing anyone? Are you endorsing any of the Republican candidates? I know that you're not endorsing Trump. I could hear that in your words today. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be endorsing any of the ones that are running, you know, that are left on, on the stage. Why not? No, there's no way because their, their, their positions, just like I stated, from the libertarian viewpoint of limiting government, uh, there's, there's nothing there offered to reduce the size and scope and intrusion of, of government. Who, who offers any cuts in spending? Who offers protections of, of our liberty? Who offers, I mean, some of the top candidates want to carpet bomb the world, you know, this sort of thing. So no, a libertarian can't endorse this authoritarian approach. Would you ever think of supporting okay. Bernie Sanders? No, no, because he's an authoritarian. Uh, he he wants to because he's just a variant of Trump. Uh, Trump wants to be the boss, and uh, but but even even the things that I work with on Bernie on some of the foreign policy. I mean, he's part of the military industrial complex. You look at his vote. He was he was a big voter for the militarism. He but had one vote that he can brag about. But he was very much involved. No, he's an authoritarian of a different color. But uh, Trump is uh -huh. a super authoritarian. Bernie Sanders and cannabis. Bernie Sanders, uh, before we start this, he feels a little bit like the Ron Paul. Not, not, not the politics of Ron Paul, but how Republicans treated Ron Paul. It feels like Democrats are treating Bernie Sanders that way, like the, the old guard Democrat compared with the old guard Republican, not letting Ron Paul people in, not letting Bernie Sanders people in. We'll see how that goes. So Bernie Sanders clearly has the most favorable marijuana position. 
saying the time is long overdue for us to remove the federal prohibition on marijuana. He has also acknowledged that he tried marijuana on a few occasions when he was younger. In November, so the same time as Trump, basically, he introduced the Ending Federal Marijuana Prohibition Act in Congress, calling for the removal of marijuana from the Federal Controlled Substance Act, which would be beautiful. 280E's gone, medical marijuana stuff gets going, um, and for the states to decide for themselves whether they want to legalize marijuana free from interference in the federal government. That would be beautiful. In my view, back to Sanders, states should have the right to regulate marijuana the same way that state and local laws not govern the sale of alcohol and tobacco. And among other things, that means that recognized businesses and states that have legalized marijuana should be fully able to use the banking system without fear of federal prosecution. Awesome. Nice. Banking system is an important thing. To make our problems worse. Let's look at the Democrat side. Bernie Sanders uh, is one of the leading candidates there. And, you know, here's the thing. Many of the positions he has taken identify with the positions that you have taken. He's running largely on income inequality. He wants the wealthy to pay more taxes. He's against special interests and corporations contributing to campaigns. He's also for health care as a birthright. Uh, and he wants free college tuition. What do you make of those issues? Well, there aren't very many of those I agree with, other than the assessment that there are problems out there. There's income inequality, but the answer isn't more taxation and take from one group who may be productive in redistributing it. I mean, he, he advertises himself as a socialist, so that's hardly, uh, you know, the answer. But uh, he has to look more toward monetary policy and the, and the Federal Reserve, uh, why there's income um, maldistribution because it's the destruction of a currency that destroys the middle class and that is what's happening. So yes, he is stressing some of the problems because when the bailouts came, he and I worked together to try to point out well the bailouts are going to the very, very wealthy but he doesn't, he's not against the bailouts, he's not against the government intervention, he's just picking and choosing which groups will get it and I think that uh, the government's purpose should be to protect liberty not to pick and choose who the special interest are. And um, I'm also convinced that the freer society, the more prosperous society, and the greater uh, the size is of the middle class. And uh, yet, uh, Bernie, with his uh, idea that everything is free, free education and free medicine and all this, I mean, if you stop and think about it, it is totally silly. Where's he going to get the money? Oh, it's from the government. Oh, we're going to tax more people. Productivity is down. We're moving into a recession. Prosperous corporations or have no incentive to stay. They leave the country. And there's only one way he can pay for this, or the people who make these promises, and that is run up debt, borrow the money, or print the money. And that's what our problem is. So there's no answers to be found in more government or a socialist system. To what extent has the current campaign finance system corrupted politics in this country? As Bernie Sanders pointed out in one of the debates, uh, he was talking about Wall Street donating huge sums of money to candidates and saying that, look, they don't do this for the fun of it. They do this for, the, for a reason. They want something back. Well, the question is, is why do people donate a lot of money to uh, uh, Sanders? Uh, uh, they want something, too. They want, uh, they want somebody who will promise them a free lunch. So there's a lot of money. He collects it differently. It might be even more honorable than uh, going to uh, the Wall Streeters, like Democrats and Republicans always do. Just to, and that's why he, uh, has, why he has more credibility, because Hillary goes to Wall Street just like all the Republicans do. And that's why there's no real difference uh, you know, between the, the two parties. 
But money is money is the symptom. It isn't the cause. The cause is the government is out of control, continues to grow, and it's controlled by the special interest. So you have to have strict limitation of the government power. And that's what the Constitution does. But there's no respect for the Constitution. If we followed the Constitution, the government wouldn't be allowed to, uh, to do the things that they do. They wouldn't be allowed to go to war without a declaration. They wouldn't be allowed to have a welfare system passing out free stuff for anybody who can put together a majority vote and dictate uh, to the minority who has to produce. Uh, that system is doomed to fail, and that's why we have a crisis now, is it is failing because they can't paper over this, this pretense that government is uh, something that can take care of everybody's needs. There's no money left. They can't tax anybody. It's running, we can't borrow anymore, and soon we won't be able to print anymore. As soon as foreigners decide we're sick and tired of buying American debt, and it's not much better than anybody else's, then the whole story will change and the whole world's going to suffer from it because the whole world uh, currency system and financial system is built on a dollar reserve currency and it's just paper. It's imaginary computer entries. So this is the real dilemma. They're unwilling to, to live up to the fact and, and admit the fact the government is too big and they spend too much money and they need to cut back and we need to release creative energy by providing more liberty for the people rather than saying that there's a government and answers. There's no authoritarian on the left and no authoritarian on the right that said, well, I can fix this, just give me more power and I'll take care of everybody. While we all experience what has become an especially unpleasant campaign season, at least it appears that we need not worry that the results of the campaign will undermine the legalization movement, regardless of who eventually wins. Okay. Um, the big things to say um, why Republicans are going to be focusing on cannabis this year, wide range. We've got this idea of federalism and the republic, states' rights. Also, we have criminal justice reform, particularly among libertarian wing. Um, oh, Gary Johnson. He's a good, I think, I'm going to make a whole show about him. We'll talk about him later. And Rand Paul both taken up the torch within the party to keep things going as far as um, criminal justice reform. Um, values, voters are still going to be a tough thing where people just, you know, the reefer madness. I saw it at the borough meeting, the way people are acting. Um, losing my security clearance. I'm going to get high because I can smell you guys growing stuff over there. Crazy stuff. Um, that just say no of Nancy Reagan. They Will they pull her out? Um, she just died recently. It'd be time to bring her out again as um, just say no. We can, the neo, neo Nancy Reagan. Um, why are Democrats looking at it? Well, Democrats, the younger voters, um, they have more liberalized marijuana laws. Medical marijuana is going to be a big key. Healthcare and family life. Um, they're against the intrusive federal government, the same as that side of the Republicans, you know. Um, we have an African-American and Latino communities that um, feel slighted, um, particularly with um, cannabis laws, um, drug laws. Uh, Democrats can talk about the justice reform with this, discrimination, economic disparities, and the job implications of marijuana arrests. I was thinking about that one time myself, thinking I grew up in the country, when I wanted to go smoke, I could just walk out of the cornfield. I could go down in the woods. I could get far away from people. No one would ever catch me. In the city, 
there's not many places to go. You get caught. And then you get in this spiral. And just of getting caught for smoking. Smoking herb. So sad. And people are in jail for that. Um, and things that I, I have never got caught for. And people um, just didn't have the freedom or the liberty or the space, property, to do what they want to do. Um, so I thought about that for a while. That idea of I just had space. Space to be away. Hiding in a city is not easy to do. Um, getting to this idea of dropping the classification. Gary Johnson suggests that uh, President Obama, when he leaves office, is going to um, declassify it as a class one narcotic. Hopefully that'll happen. Also, the head head guy from Metric, the tracking company, when I attended a meeting with him at um, in Fairbanks, when he was presenting, he also predicted that at the end, the DEA, when they are leaving, they will just say, you know what? We're leaving it. We're heading, leaving it to you guys. Um, uh, we are declassifi- declassifying it right now. I would love if they would just take it completely off the list. That would be a great thing. Um, that would be a beautiful thing. But the federal government moves slow. I am so happy I live in Alaska. Well, that's where the end with that. Hey, thank you for joining us on Far North Tokers. You can find more episodes on SoundCloud at Far North Tokers. Sing!